all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. This is Southern Remedy, and I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is your program to listen to any type of answer that we might have for the general health of you and your family to keep you healthy and maybe point you in the right direction. You are welcome right now. That's right. I'm giving you permission to be the very first person. You win the special distinction of being the very first person to call during the hour. Or if you're not able to call right now, we do realize uh, sometimes that's a little bit difficult for some people, maybe in the middle of work, or maybe you're listening at another time uh, to the program. You can always email us questions. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a great holiday season. It's sort of the mad rush before Christmas, right? So uh, just try to pace yourself. I think it's gotten a little bit better with, you know, the emergence of uh, online gift delivery with Amazon. Certainly, uh, you probably would would, uh, run less risk of all the dangers of getting out on the roads and getting uh, packages um, however, we probably have more Amazon drivers now than we ever have, so that may be an increased risk, too. It might be a wash with that. I don't know. That would be a good study to do. But uh, do try to keep uh, you know some perspective on things. Because of various factors um, during this time of year, it is a difficult time for a lot of people. So you might be one of those, those persons that are experiencing maybe a decline in your overall uh, well-being. Maybe it's your mood or how you're feeling in general. And uh, certainly holidays sometimes can be a tough time for individuals that are dealing with depression or anxiety or maybe a death in the family or a loss that uh, gets reminded of during this time. Uh, Reach out to people. Um, That doesn't have to be professionals, but certainly get some professional help if you need it. And don't feel bad about calling in to the doctor's office or to uh, to uh, friends and family and say, hey, I, I need some help right now. I'm really having a hard time because it can be very isolating for people. It can be very, uh, very dark for people. And certainly our sort of dingy, dark daylight hours, even here in the South, can sometimes contribute to that. So a lot of people have things like seasonal affective disorder and, and other derivations of that that sort of get in the way. But do try to connect with people during this time of year. It is very easy to sort of slip away from that. Even if you have some time off, um, think about the people that you want to connect with and maybe you haven't in a while because that can be very important to your overall health. Should point out that Mississippi and surrounding states are really high in flu right now. We are 
testing a lot of people for flu and have a lot of positives. So uh, I think we're one of uh, two or three other states that sort of lead the nation right now in new flu cases. It is not too late or too early to get your flu vaccine. I know people have a lot of different thoughts on that. Certainly, these are designed for the the typical strain of flu that is predicted. And I will say that that, uh, I have seen less people who got their flu vaccine that were flu positive than I have that were that did not get their vaccine and are flu positive and flu is not something that uh, you know a lot of people will say well if i get the flu it's not really that big a deal it can be even for people who are healthy certainly if you have chronic medical conditions like diabetes heart failure hypertension um, lots of other chronic medical conditions any type of lung disease if you have copd or emphysema or asthma it can be a very debilitating disease and might end up uh, with a hospitalization, certainly you don't want that this time of year or any time for that matter. So a flu vaccine is a very good thing to get. And again, even if you, uh, you know, you're, you've reached this point into the year, then uh, reach out to your pharmacy, to your physician's office, maybe even at your work, they may still be um, uh, offering the flu vaccine. Some, a lot of uh, workplace uh, opportunities are there. Sometimes that's even free. So take advantage of that and do get it. It will decrease your, your chances of getting the flu. I think most people realize this, but uh, you can't get the flu from the vaccine. We don't have live vaccines anymore um, for flu. Uh, that that's uh, it's, it's totally dead, so it's not able to, uh, to infect you. Certainly the symptoms that some people get with a vaccine are just a reminder that your immune system's doing what it's designed to do, which is to mount up an immunologic response to that vaccine. And a lot of times that may be accompanied by a little bit of elevation in your temperature. It might be a little redness at the site. It might even be in a couple of hours or maybe even 24 hours of just feeling a little bit tired or sore uh, in your muscles. That's your body doing what it's supposed to do. It's doing all those things to gear up if you are exposed to the flu um, in the future. And of course, there's lots of different ways to prevent the flu in addition to getting the vaccine. That's probably one of the better ones. But uh, limiting your contact with people that you know are sick can be one of those. Washing your hands, particularly after you touch various things. I'm sort of programmed to do that because I'm a physician. Every time I open a doorknob, I think, okay, when am I going to wash my hands or use some some alcohol or foam uh, after that experience? So uh, the way we transmit these viruses typically are uh, aerosolized and on surfaces. So, um, you know, surfaces that lots of people are touching like those doorknobs or like the if you're at the at, at your house with somebody um, you know just having a little bit of space between them that can be a good thing or even if you cough or sneeze making sure that you have that covered uh, preferably with a Kleenex but uh, if you don't have one available with your sleeve if you're out in public or things like that please do that so that the rest of us can enjoy not getting those symptoms and certainly if you're exposed to someone or you yourself have a weakened immune system, maybe you're undergoing chemotherapy, maybe you have an autoimmune disease uh, that you're being treated for, lots of different things out there that can weaken your immune system, then certainly you may need to be a little bit extra careful with uh, your exposure uh, to others. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and we're going to be talking about all kinds of good health care issues this morning, but we want to make sure that you get first priority with that. So 
If you have any type of new symptom, maybe it's a new medication, a new diagnosis that you don't really understand, or maybe just a general question about health care in general, or maybe a way to stay healthy, or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We were discussing sort of general aches and pains that everybody has from time to time in the studio, and uh, uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know, I was getting into my bed the other night, and I sort of uh, climbed in and uh, bent my knee a certain way, and it almost felt like almost like a spring in the bed was sort of coming up out of the mattress and uh, had a little sharp pain there that just coincided with that one movement when I was getting in and out of the bed. But uh, felt the mattress and it was fine, so there was nothing there. But it has happened more than once. Most of the time, that's due to an irritation in one of our cutaneous nerves. Now, we have lots of you have probably Googled or seen pictures of the body and sort of the nerves that go everywhere. And you can see the bigger nerves. They're actually uh, look, look like little glistening white, whitish uh, yellow strands or ropes, basically, that uh, connect to our brain all the way down our spinal cord and then come out to all different parts of the body. But then they branch out into these really small, fine uh, fibers, and those uh, are responsible for various things. Some of them are responsible for innervating motor units, so the way we move. Some of them are responsible for pain. Some are responsible for light touch or temperature or vibration. So there's lots of different functions for those individual nerves. So they don't, you know, one nerve doesn't do all of that. It, it has fibers in it that do that to that same area. But sometimes you can have an irritation to a nerve that produces that same sensation, like you're sitting or, or brushing up against something that's sharp. Uh, but it's actually just sort of a... a um, an irritation of the nerve itself. And this can be from something pressing on it. It can be from some uh, unknown damage you had. Maybe you bumped your knee or maybe something, you know, something hit your knee or you twisted it a certain way. Generally speaking, those are self-limited and will go away. Nerves do heal, but they heal very slowly. So you need to give them time to do that. And uh, sometimes that can even mean, you know, protecting that that area that you're feeling that extra sensation. But if you, if you don't notice that there's anything wrong there, if you have full range of motion with the knee and, uh, you know, it probably is just sort of a irritation to those uh, cutaneous nerves. I'm going to go to Anthony from Columbus. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, sir. What's your question this morning? Uh, I actually have a question concerning the correlation between sleep apnea and memory loss. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a sleep study done, and they said I was uh, stopping breathing about 15, 20 times in an hour, which is pretty significant. I understand that. Right. Um, but several years ago, I'd say five or six years ago, I started noticing, uh, started having problems like just pronouncing certain consonants, uh, certain words, just suddenly freeze, you know, kind of hang up, and uh, I'm a pastor uh, as far as my vocation, so of course my speech and my memory and all is very uh, vital to what I do. Um did sleep study. They wanted me to come back, all that, but I mean, it was just way out of my um, budget at the time to finish everything up to get the 
uh, machinery and all that done. And I'm just trying to understand the correlation between sleep apnea and uh, memory loss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So several different things in the way that it affects um, memory. Uh, number one, any kind of sleep disordered uh, breathing or or not even getting quality sleep. So there's the the body's sort of made to um, to get a certain amount of sleep and a certain type of sleep, particularly deep deeper levels of sleep. So sometimes you may have you know looked at this looked this up, and it's sort of the REM uh, rapid eye movement sleep. And that's very vital for our memory functioning. When you don't get that and that's interrupted, there were studies years ago that NASA did and the military to sort of see what the impact of this was. And after two or three nights of not getting any sleep, you really start to see a deterioration in your ability to uh, process complex things that you're thinking through or to do uh, um, repetitive movements or repetitive tasks that require you to concentrate. And they did some really good experiments in this, and it, it is correlated to the way that you get sleep, the amount that you get, but it also, you can you know, be asleep in quotation marks for seven or eight hours. But if you're waking up, like you, you know, said 10 to 15 times a night, you're not really giving your brain time enough to get into that deeper sleep. You can't just dive into it. You have to, there's a progression naturally that it does that. So that's one, one cause of it. And that's probably the biggest cause of it. It's also what makes you feel groggy in the morning. It makes you feel like you have a headache, um, it has all kinds of side effects with it, but it's v- documented very, very well um, in uh, particularly in those areas of, you know, in uh, our with the astronaut program or with um, with the military to, about those effects. Um, in the other part of that is if you're not getting adequate oxygen delivery to the brain during those times. So oftentimes those pauses of those apneic episodes 10, 15 times a night, whatever the number is, you're going to dip down a little bit into lower levels of oxygenation. And because the brain's very sensitive to that, even though it may be for only a couple of seconds, when you look at the entirety of that entire night, your brain's not getting the oxygen that it needs to really function very well. So you need to, you know, those are two basic mechanisms by which memory is impacted. Um, so I, you know, I, I would advise you to to be reevaluated, or you know, for a, a, a they've got some a little bit more economical ways of doing this. I would sort of shy away from the over the counter stuff. It doesn't really work because it's not giving you positive pressure ventilation. If they do say that you have obstructive sleep apnea, for instance, uh, medications can't really like a lot of people say, well, I'll just take Benadryl and I'll get sleep. Actually, that can make it worse in some instances because it relaxes the soft tissue in the back of the throat. Um, so having that sort of positive airway pressure through either a what's called a BiPAP, which is really it sort of fits over your nose and, and uh, keeps those airways open through a little bit of pressure there, tends to be a little bit more tolerated than the full mask. But some people it doesn't work as well just because of their anatomy or that full mask. I find a lot of patients that are very skeptical that they're going to be able to do that and wear that overnight. 
but they are usually surprised if they once they get it fitted that they have such better quality sleep. They feel so much better. They're able to concentrate more. They're able to sort of think through things. But that's probably at least one of the reasons why you're having some trouble with the concentration and with with uh, speech and uh, and memory loss, just because your brain's not doing what it's supposed to do when you're sleeping. Um, even if you're, again, if you're getting that total time of sleep, it just, the quality of it's not getting there and it's not getting down to the, to the, to the levels that it needs to, to be able to process that information. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the information. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, Anthony, for calling. And, uh, thanks for, uh, for listening as always. We're going to go to Chris in Hernando. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I used to do, I used to work out quite a bit, two hours a day or so before COVID, and since quit, and now I'm trying to go back. I'm 67 years old, and I'm not lifting really heavy, but I was in pretty good shape. But now my muscles are cramping. If I'm doing just a simple set of curls, the bicep will cramp in the third or fourth repetition, and I'm not talking heavy weights. I'm talking 15, 20 pounds things like that but it's a knot inside the bicep yeah and it, it so and how old are you chris i'm 67 okay yeah so i've i've seen this quite a few times in in people who've been very regimented had you know regimented plans where they worked out and they were they were exercising different muscle groups typically you lose start to lose those effects as early as two weeks after stopping doing it or you know cutting back and it does take you the older you get the longer it takes you to get back to that point you know if we if you were 20 uh you know when i stopped doing stuff for whatever reason and i go back to the gym and i'm like oh my goodness it's taken me forever to get back to that point um so you do have to you know give yourself a little bit more time usually muscle cramps like that is one or of two things one may just be that those muscles need are not getting the substrate that they need to really exercise in that way. The biggest cause of it is lack of prehydration. So if you're not hydrated when you go into an exercise, you're going to run the risk of having cramps. It doesn't have so much to do with sodium balance or potassium balance or magnesium or all those things, particularly if you're inside in the gym. That's sort of late effects in the game, but it's, you know, if you're doing stuff for 45 minutes or more, then you're going to run into those kinds of issues. But generally speaking, if you're not hydrated beforehand, um, I, I like to tell patients, go ahead and drink enough water and don't, don't go drinking Gatorade or other stuff or things. Try to shy away from things that have caffeine in it, at least up front if you're getting back into activities. Um, and just drink okay. some water until you get to the point where you have to use the bathroom. Go use the bathroom and then immediately start working out. So that's that's okay. a good. You know then that your tank your tank is full and uh, you've sort of topped off there, and uh, and then you can get into the activity. The second thing, if it's particularly if it's just one bicep, there may be some stretch in the tissue that even though it was a lighter weight, like I said, if it was a if it was more than a couple of months of time in between you can lose a lot of muscle mass and uh, you really have to back up a good bit even with lighter weights it doesn't sound like this is the issue and you probably you know a lot of times uh, patients will come in they'll say hey i felt a little bit of a pop and then i have this really intense cramp well that's really a tear in the muscle fibers 
and that can um, that sometimes it'll even be visible when they run their fingers over the muscle belly, uh, and biceps is an is an easy one to do that. But it yeah, does. This is like, yeah, go I ahead. Mean, it, it, it literally about the third repetition, I'll I'll feel it start to cramp, and by the fourth, it literally is uh, you know a knot in my biceps, and and I'm you know I used to be lifting sixty seventy pounds on curls, and now I'm down at ten pounds, so it's not. This is not a soreness like a delayed onset. Gotcha. Soreness. This is an acute moment, you know. Yeah. I, I literally have to stop right yeah. now. That, that muscle fiber or fibers is not getting what it needs at that time to perform that <laughs> rep. And one thing you may want to do is just do eccentric movements. In other words, don't load it up so much, but just right. do, you know, sort of static weight, sort of uh, neutral things first. And go for more higher repetitions, even if it's in sort of a neutral plane, a horizontal plane where you can do that. Um, and and if people think, well, what good is that going to do? Those muscle fibers are going to be like moving through that, but they're not going to have much contraction. So they're going to get used to doing that and maybe do up to like 20 reps, three sets of that. Um, then you can start doing, you might even try some uh, some deceleration loading of it. So in other words, 10 pounds. Start with it fully contracted, uh, you know, with the with the barbell or the machine fully contracted, and then slowly let down on it. Um, and that's that can activate all of them. And don't. And the other thing that, and you you sound like you're an expert at it already, but just for everybody else out there, if you're having to like rock your body back and forth to get those things moving, or you're like sort of jerking, you know, when you lose form. You're not isolating that muscle anymore, and you're really you're really putting your that muscle in a position to get damaged. So as slowly as you can do it, the better. The more fibers you activate in that muscle, if it's still hurting after that, all those things, I'd probably have a sports medicine doctor looked at look at it just to make sure there's not something else going on. They can sometimes they can look at it with ultrasound right there in the office, and they can see some small tears or maybe some some uh, swelling of the muscle belly. And that's an easy way that they could diagnose that if it's something else that needs to be addressed. But I would try those other things first and maybe for a couple of weeks, if you're still having problems with it, then ask your physician or, or go straight to sports medicine doctor. Uh, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, a lot of it's just I've, I've never been this old and I'm going back to doing something that I've done in the past. So it's, right. you know, just the aging process, too. So that's, but yeah, it, but the, the, the fluid and the, it, yeah, those things make sense. I, I will attempt that, and if not, I'll find a sports medicine doctor, and we'll work it out. Thank you for your time. All right, Chris. Dr. Jimmy with you today on uh, a little chilly Mississippi morning. And uh, for those of you who are listening live, at least, you might hear this later and think it's not chilly outside. It's 103. Uh, but not today. And I sort of like it. I like the, the cold. The older I get, the the more I like uh, the cold. From Winona. Good morning, Rick. Are you there, Rick? Good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Thank you. Uh, as I've, in the past couple of years, I'm currently 65. I am now have this habit of waking up anywhere from midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning. I do have a prescription to Zolpodium or Ambien, which I may take a quarter of a pill or half a pill, but I am concerned about uh, some of the things they've talked about in terms of addictive or uh, possible dementia. Uh, What solutions are there to 
sleep through the night. Yeah, sleep fragmentation like that, and that's that's one of the words we used to describe it, is a little bit different than just primary insomnia where you can't get to sleep. So uh, if you're getting to sleep okay, but you're waking up sort of in the middle of the night, a couple of different things that might be causes of that. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it's related to uh, increased urine production uh, where you're not emptying out your bladder uh, before you go to sleep. And then you have to, you know, get up and do that, even if you don't initially, you know, that's not the urge to do that. And then, of course, there's tons of other things that influence that. Some of it is related to what you do before you sleep. So the, I always, you know, even if patients are like, yeah, you're doing everything right, I like to review it at least. Um, you know, uh, Ambien may be working for you and you may be able to get to sleep, but even if you're, you know, if you're getting to sleep, okay, doing things like excessive screen time because of the different wavelengths and the light levels that are reaching your retina that activates the areas in your brain that help to regulate sleepfulness and awake, awakeness, those cycles. Um, and so it's, it's not as good an idea and it's interesting the differences in how the brain is stimulated from reading a book with light versus reading something on your iPad or phone, uh, even if you have the wavelengths changed on it, it can still activate the brain enough to where you're not going to get good sleep, either initiation or fragmentation later. And there's tons of stuff that we do in our bodies that can then sometimes make you, you know, wake up in the middle of the night. Alcohol is probably the, one of the most common things. Even if you just drink one drink at night, a lot, a lot of people like to drink a little toddy or something before you go to sleep. It can make you sleepy, particularly for the first 30 minutes or so. And um, But it, you, it actually activates the brain after you metabolize that about two to three hours later. So it can make you wake back up in the middle of the night. And this is very common. Uh, a lot of people have that or they'll go to parties this time of year. And it's like, oh, I didn't sleep at all. Like I got to sleep fine. I had a good time and I was exhausted when I got home. But then I woke up at 3 a.m. and I just can't, you know, it's, I hear that all the time in my patients. So that's one thing that you can do is to try to cut that out uh, or, or drink earlier in the day if you're going to do that. Um, and then activity levels. Uh, so what you're doing up until the point where you fall asleep, you want to sort of wind down. I know a lot of people, you know, I'm, uh, there are sort of OCD about this enough that they program their phone to have sort of this sleep cycle that says, hey, your normal sleep time is 930. You might want to wind down right now for the next 15 to 30 minutes. Um, but that is true. Like you don't want to exercise right before you go to sleep because the body's sort of revved up. It's having to deal with all the lactic acid and other things uh, that uh, that are increased during that time. And it can't, you know, can't really put you to sleep. A lot of people will take a um, sort of a, a on the warmer side of a shower or a bath or if you have access to like a sauna. Um, it's very useful in, in getting good sleep. Um, not a whole lot of science to behind it, honestly, but uh, there's some heat shock proteins uh, that are produced in those kinds of situations. I'm not talking about scalding hot. Heat shock protein sounds very damaging, but it's actually not. Um, but that can help with sleep, too. And those are some common things where you might even be able to come off the Ambien and use it at least less than what you're using it right now. And then finally, um, you know, caffeine consumption in one way or another, any kind of stimulant that is uh, maybe activating your brain. Uh, and it, uh, you know, a lot of people can't even drink anything with caffeine after lunchtime because it, they're just much more sensitive to that. 
So I would try doing those things if you haven't already first. As far as something that can keep you asleep, there are a couple of other medications that are commonly used, and some of them are older and been used for a long time. You're right. There are some concerns that Ambien, it has, it does have theoretically an addiction potential uh, because of the class of medications that it's in and the doses that most people take it and lower to, you know, no, the normal doses. It doesn't have as much of that risk, uh, but it is a it is a risk. And then the other thing that you mentioned, a lot of people will say, hey, I just can't think right. Or they may have some uh, almost dementia type symptoms uh, while they take it. Um, that's that's another consideration. So I'm all for, you know, trying to change sort of the things that you do with what you eat, what you drink, um, your activity level so that you sort of wind down at the end of the day. Um, those can be helpful in sort of resetting your body. And keep in mind, that's like, it's almost like you're retraining your brain to do that. So just doing it one time and seeing the effect and like, well, that didn't work. I'd give it a couple of weeks of doing things like that and just sort of hit everything and see what works for you. Um, and if it doesn't work after that, then you, there are some other what's called parasomnias that can interfere your sleep, with your sleep and that can break up your sleep in the middle of the night. And a sleep specialist, even if you don't have sleep apnea, everybody thinks the only reason you go to the sleep specialist is if you have sleep apnea. Plenty of other sleep disorders that can impact that. It might be worthwhile to go see them, and they're not necessarily going to do a sleep study on you, but they may you know, see some things or maybe be able to, to recommend some things that could get some good sleep. And, um, and the other thing I should say is a lot of people will say, I know I get three or four hours of sleep or I get my sleep that's interrupted at night, but I feel really good. I'm pretty productive during the day. I don't have any problems. And, you know, I'll say, try some of these other things, but if you're doing well, I don't know that I'd change anything at that point, particularly adding another medication if you're doing okay during the day. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Lifestyle changes. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Thank you, Rick, for uh, for listening and for calling today. All right, Dr. Jimmy, I got a question for you. <clears throat> this time of year, when it gets cold, I get chapped lips a lot, and it seems counterproductive because you lick your lips to get them moist, but then that ends up drying them out. And so talk about uh, chapped lips, if you would, and, and I guess the, your lips are kind of a different type of skin than you have in other parts of your body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, great question. That's uh, Kevin Farrell, our producer, always handy with a uh, question uh, that you would never think of. Kevin can come up with those questions, uh, but they're usually questions that we all deal with. So chap lips, just about everybody has chap lips. And you're right. There are certain times of the year that you're more prone to, do, to get that. Um, the biggest thing that causes it is just a, is a local dehydration in the, and with a, uh, a loss of fluid right around that, that skin. And you're right, being right there in the, that's sort of the vermilion border of transition between squamous cell epithelium of the outside of the skin and the, the different epithelium on the inside of your mouth, um, it is more prone because of that to be chapped and to be irritated. And the times that you see that is if you have, you know, strong windy conditions, decreases in temperature, particularly this time of year, because we lose a little bit more water, uh, particularly if we have our mouths open. And when you lick your lips, yeah, you, you are moistening them. So you're increasing that water content to the lips themselves. 
but you're losing it just as fast. So there's it, sort of an evaporative loss that it sort of accelerates that irritation to the lips. And that's why, you know, keeping them with something like chapstick or whatever your, you know, whatever your lipstick or, or things like that that you can put on them uh, to just keep it as a as a barrier uh, to those, that can be very helpful. And there's not really much anything else to do to, to help prevent it. And, you know, kids, we see this all the time because they can't like – Yet, you know, their brains don't tell them as much to say, don't lick your lips, don't lick your lips. But when they do it and when they do that, that evaporative loss um, to that to that tissue of the lips just sort of accelerates that whole thing. Babies, we see this, too, sometimes just because of drooling. Uh, when they're teething, they oftentimes will see some irritation around the uh, around the outside of the mouth there. But really, not much to do about it besides putting some kind of barrier on there, Vaseline, uh, whether it's a, sort of a, a natural wax-type uh, product or something like that. But you definitely want something that can be a, a barrier between that. And I should say, if you went out in the desert, like we don't see this as much in the summertime because we have so much humidity levels. So it's hot. So you would think, well, why don't we see this in the summer because we have evaporative water losses? Well, that's true, but the humidity is high enough that you don't see it as much, although some people do get it. It's, everybody's a little bit different. But if you if you go out to the desert where you have zero humidity or very low levels of humidity, you can definitely uh, experience this too. Um, I've gone hiking in, in out west in different areas that had very little humidity at altitude and both that and sun exposure. I mean, the lips can get sunburned too. Uh, if I didn't keep stuff on them, I, I very quickly got, uh, got chapped lips. So common thing, you would think we would have something better or maybe something you put on once and never have to deal with it again. Maybe Santa does. We asked, we should ask Santa this question, but because he's flying around on that sleigh, Perhaps the beard is one uh, mechanism. That may be the mechanism of why he still has a beard. Why does Santa still have a beard? It's for the chapped lips that he is trying to prevent on his worldwide journey across the sky in the wintertime. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls about any kind of health care topic that you might be interested in, whether it's yourself or somebody near and dear to you. If you haven't got a chance to call us, you can, or maybe you're just really shy, you can always email us. We do try to get back to you in a timely fashion uh, on those emails. Uh, or share with our uh, larger listening audience, you can uh, email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to, I believe it's pronounced Juanisha. Did I get that right from Biloxi? Yes, yes, you did. All right. How are you? Good. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, So I just have a quick question for you. I'm 64 years old, um, very active. You know, I was playing pickleball four to five times a week um, and walked few miles every day, um, and I hurt my back. I took about a two weeks off, went back and played again, and hurt it even a little worse. So I said, well, I'll just do some stretching, and hopefully it'll get better. And I saw this ad to see a chiropractor. So I did. I went and visited the chiropractor, and sure enough, my spine is very um, swayed and the lower region. Um, and he said he could help me you know, straighten that out a little bit. I mean, obviously not perfect, but I've never done chiropractic care. So I'm just curious, is that a good way to go with this sort of injury? I'm pain-free right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, great question. So um, I am not trained as a chiropractor, but I do. I have had some of my patients go to the chiropractor, or in in some cases, I've uh, referred them to a chiropractor. Uh, so some of the modalities, I think, I think most of the modalities are good. I th- the only thing I would be cautious with, uh, if in in any patient that has osteo severe osteoporosis, where the manipulation that they're going to be doing might um, put too much pressure on bones. Um, I would be a little bit skeptical about that. There are certain maneuvers that, um, like a table drop that they do sometimes and different kinds of things that, you know, I would just ask them about what they're going to do beforehand because some things, again, can put more uh, pressure on, uh, on different parts of the spine or whatever area that they're working on. But particularly with chronic pain, um, I've found it to be very useful for my patients. And they typically, they feel really good after they go. It's almost sort of like a therapeutic session of going every so often um, for, for the adjustments. Um, now, it's, it, you know, if, if you've got things like severe scoliosis, there's just not any level of of chiropractic maneuvers that can, it may improve it a little bit, but they're not going to correct that completely. I mean, if you have a, uh, you know, a, a curvature that's, that's, uh, that's pretty bad, or if you have, uh, you know, lumbar or uh, thoracic issues where you have bowing of the spine, that, that may not completely help it, but it might, it might help a little bit, particularly with, with any kind of uh, um, um, uh, pain that you might have. I am a huge fan of physical therapy and um, conditioning and stretching and using the muscles around the spine and that support the spine and the core muscles of the body. I probably use physical therapists a whole lot. Well, I do use them a whole lot more than chiropractic uh, individuals, but I I think it's worth a try. Anything that hurts worse, I would say, nope, we're not doing that anymore um, because that's your body telling you this isn't isn't right. Now, the physical therapist will tell you things like kiss the pain is a a saying that they'll say a lot of times, uh, which means you go right up to the pain in physical therapy, but you don't go over that limit. And it shouldn't be it should be more of a a non-acute sharp pain. It should be sort of that low tolerance. Okay, this is about to hurt. I'm going to back off at this point. So. Yeah, that's that was that would be my suggestion. I think it's it's fine to go try them out, see what you think. If you hurt worse after going, and they say just bear with me, eh, I'd be a little bit skeptical of that. Particularly if you're going in with no pain, um, soreness is okay, of course. But um, I think it'd probably be fine to try them out and just see for you if that works. Okay, all right, all right. Thank you. That makes me feel better. I haven't committed yet, um, so I was. Just wanted to buy a few friends, and I'm so happy to be driving and heard you today. So, yeah. thank you very and, much. And Wanisha, it, uh, you might even check out if you have access to a gym, even if you don't join it. A lot of times they'll have free sessions where a trainer can work with you and just tell them what you want to do. Goal oriented therapy is the best kind of therapy. So, if you say, I'm, you know, I want to be able to play pickleball or do a couple of things or pick my grandkids up. They can help you design a program that works not only the joints themselves, but the muscles that would be specific to that activity. Right, right. Okay. I, I will do that. All right. Thank you for calling. Oh, thank, thank you. All right. 
We're going to go to our probably our last caller here for the day. I'm going to go to Sue from Meridian. Good morning, Sue. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question about um, nighttime enuresis or bedwetting okay. with one of my children. Um, he has struggled with it since he was young, and he is now a teenager, and we have been followed by urology over at Batson for years and have tried different medications, have done a sleep study to rule out anything with his sleep. Um, it still continues, and, and I just didn't know if there were any kind of alternate therapies out there or if there was something that we might consider a different approach other than medication through urology, um, the nighttime alarm, kind of wedding alarms that we've tried, or, or sleep study. And if there was ever kind of a concern about a more serious underlying condition when it has persisted in a child for, you know, up into the teenage years. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's really common when they're young, but if you get up into the teenage years and you're still having problems, you want to make sure that you're, you've got an accurate diagnosis and that you're taking all those treatment modalities seriously and in, in doing them. It sounds like you have, though. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that they look for is any type of nerve damage that it was possible at any point to the bladder itself. So that may be something to bring up with them if they've done imaging studies like MRI or anything of the lower th- uh, lumbar spine in uh, the pelvis. Okay. That might be something that they may be doing. But you you named all the things that I would know about, about secondary causes uh, like the parasomnias okay. that happen at night and using all the techniques. Usually those alarms can help train the body to do that. But if they're not working, then you go to medications and things like DDAVP. Uh, which it sounds like he's taking those too. So it it is a very small percentage of patients have an incredibly hard time with that. But um, I would, I would back up, maybe even get a second opinion from somebody to say, and he may, if if he can see a pediatric neurologist, that's even better because they deal with this more than the adults do. Um, That, that may be something to, to consider to sort of broaden that out with what, uh, number one, what the true diagnosis is, and is there anything that you're missing? And maybe you may even have to go to like a regional center that that really specializes in that, or to okay. you know. But Batson's real. I mean, the, the pediatric urologists that that they have, I'm fa- I'm familiar with them. They do a good job. But if you're not getting good, you know, uh, if if you're still having problems to that level, it might be worthwhile, you know, seeing somebody else to get that sort of one over view of things. Okay, great. And we have not done imaging, so I'll bring that up with them at our um, at our next appointment. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that's going to give you the, the definitive answer, but it is, um, I mean, that's one thing that I would say at this point would probably be worthwhile at least checking that off the list. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Happy holidays. All right. To you too, Sue. We do appreciate you calling in. All of our callers today always get some great uh, questions from all of you. I do hope every each and every one of you has a great holiday season. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell and the podcast producer is Abram Nanny. You can tune in to MPB Think Radio every weekday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.